Good morning. So good to see you here in the auditorium. Welcome to everyone who's watching in the venue and those who are joining us online. Thanks so much for being with us today. My name is Adrian. And uh, if we haven't met yet, love to connect with you after the service. We're seeing a number of newcoming families over the past several weeks and really grateful for that. If you're new here, as Kent just said on those announcements, uh, we'd love to meet you whenever you're ready to introduce yourself to us and love to connect you with any of the ministries that we have going here. If we can be of assistance to you, please let us know. I got my next generation kids ministry t-shirt ready for VBS this week. I got my mask. I got my Bible. It's going to be a great week of VBS, isn't it? A little bit different this year, but it's going to be a great week. Yeah, you can clap for that. Thank you. I am truly so, so grateful for our kids' ministry leadership team and the work that they've done over these past months, back and forth, can we have this, can we not have it, and then they've arrived at something where we're going to have 180 or so kids here, and then many others watching online, and uh, over 90 VBS workers, we're going to invite some of them up at the end of our worship service today, if you're a VBS worker. You may not have known this, but we're going to ask you to come forward and we're going to pray for you at the end of the worship service as this is a critical week uh, for our kids and a great, great week. You probably remember from childhood, VBS is a tremendous week to grow in your faith. And that's what we're asking God for, to connect with those who are less churched, maybe unchurched altogether, but also asking that God will grow our kids in their faith as well. And uh, we'll pray about that here at the end of the service today. You know, many restaurants have what they call a special sauce. Something that kind of is supposed to differentiate them from the other restaurants. You go to McDonald's and you order a Big Mac with special sauce, okay. You go to Raising Cane's and you get cane sauce. You go to Arby's and you get Arby's sauce. You go to Chick-fil-A and you get who came up with these ideas? Oh, boy, these are really big strategic stretches, creative stretches. Chick-fil-A sauce, Arby sauce, cane sauce. Well, it was tough to come up with those ones. But the idea was, let's come up with some kind of sauce that would differentiate us from the other restaurants that people would think about when they think about our restaurant, would make us unique, and they would come back for that special sauce, whatever it is. Did you know that Christianity has a special sauce? Spicy sauce, incorrect, but <laughs> but sometimes it is spicy. You're right about that, brother. That's not what I was looking for, though. <laughs> the special sauce of Christianity is grace. Grace is that which differentiates Christianity from every other worldview you can think of. Grace is what differentiates Christianity and keeps people coming back to Christianity as opposed to Judaism or Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism or atheism or any other worldview. It is our special sauce. Now, what is grace? Here's a simple definition up on the screen. Grace is, simply put, treating people better than they deserve. Let's say that out loud together. Join me. Grace is treating people better than they deserve. Okay, I heard it better from the venue this morning than I did from the auditorium. 
Grace is treating people better than they deserve, and this is the special sauce of Christianity. It comes to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ that when you embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, he gave you his grace. That free of charge, he forgave you and invited you into his family. Invited you into the Father's family, gave you the Holy Spirit. You are welcomed into God's family. You get all of his embrace and all of his presence through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He treats you better than you deserve. You believe that? Okay, that, that, that's, that's what is unique about our faith. And the Christian teaching is that this would come into us and then it would flow through us. You know, Hinduism and Buddhism, that's actually my background, and some of you know my story. I'll share it some other day for those who don't. But Hinduism and Buddhism have this idea of karma. And karma is this. You are presently in your suffering working off the misdeeds, the sins from your previous lives. It ain't a happy-go-lucky tip jar, I'm sorry. That ain't karma. It's working off the misdeeds from your previous life. It's your debt. Okay, Judaism teaches eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Islam teaches the same. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The standard de facto belief amongst most people that I interact with goes something like this. If you don't hurt me, I won't hurt you. If you're kind to me, I'll be kind to you. As long as you help me, then I'll help you. But grace is different. Grace is no matter how you treat me, I'm going to treat you better than you deserve. And this is what God would intend to distinguish us from all others. Keep that in mind as we read this morning's passage, 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12, just five short verses this morning. Rather than turning there this time, you could turn there a little bit later in the message if you'd like, but all the verses will be up on the screen. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. Again, in the back of your Bible, you probably know how to get there by now. If you don't know how to get there, God's given us a table of contents too. But I'm going to read this passage, and what I'd like you to do is sit back and simply listen to it. I don't want you to read it. I want you to sit back and listen to it. And perhaps close your eyes, if you're willing to participate with me in this. Close your eyes. I'll keep mine open while I read it. Extend your hands, if you're willing, because to extend your hands is a position of receptivity. It's saying, I'm open to you, God. What is it that you want to put in my hand today? Five verses. First Peter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good, see good days 
must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Father, we ask that you would teach us this morning. What is it about this special sauce of Christianity that you want to teach us today? We extend our hands to you and we say that we are open to you, God. If there's something for our lives right now that you would like to teach us, we welcome that. If there's something about the way that we would speak, we welcome that. If there's something about what we've believed about ourselves and what we need to believe about ourselves, what we need to believe about you and your gracious character, we welcome that, God. Please teach us, Father. We submit ourselves to you through Christ our Lord. Amen. This is a really simple passage. Let me break it down. Verse 8 says, Be considerate to one another, love one another, live in harmony. Verse 9 says, people are going to oppose you, people will be mean to you, people will insult you and even do evil to you. Treat them in a different way. Bless them. Verse 11 says, seek peace, pursue it. Do good even to those who would do evil to you, you seek peace. And verse 12 says, the eyes of the Lord, the ears of the Lord are attentive to those who do his will, who live this way, who live out of holiness. His ear is attentive to us, but those who do their own thing, those who act in wickedness, those who say, no thanks to grace, I'll do my own thing, his ear is not attentive to them. It's a simple passage, very straightforward, but simple ain't easy, is it? In essence, if you were to break this passage down in four simple action-oriented statements, it would go like this. Stay together. Expect insults. Don't retaliate. Seek peace. Those four. Stay together. Expect insults. Don't retaliate. Seek peace. Very, very simple passage. I don't need to explain it really anymore. What we need to do is think about how we would live it. So what I'd like to do here for the remainder of our time is give you a couple tools for your tool belt to begin to more and more, to continue more and more, to operate in the grace that we have received from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Consider this a little bit of an equipping time on the special sauce, the cornerstone, the very foundation of our faith, Christianity. This is not auxiliary to our faith. This is not secondary to our faith. This is the main thing of what we receive and then what we go on to live. I know a teacher in this church who was taught for many years and he shared a story with me some time ago that he was in the middle of a lecture for his high school class and he was probably five or ten minutes into the lecture, 
explaining a very difficult to understand concept. And as he's going on trying to explain this concept, all of the students are listening to him, or at least he hoped they were all listening to him. But one of the students decided to interrupt him in the middle of his lecture. And this student said, you have got to be the most disrespectful person I've ever met. Whoa. Could you imagine hearing that from a 16-year-old as you're in the middle of your lecture, as you're the only one speaking, someone interrupts and says, you've got to be the most disrespectful person I've ever met. What do you do with that? You know, it strikes me that if you live a few years as an adult, you're gonna have an experience like that. And if you live a few months as a teenager, you're gonna have an experience like that. And if you're a person with a disability or an impairment or a mental illness of any kind, you're gonna have experiences like that. What do you do in that moment? This man paused and he collected himself. Perhaps he prayed. Maybe he counted to five. Maybe he counted to 500. I don't know. But he collected himself and in that moment he said, thank you. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share? Silence. And he moved on with his lecture. Some moments later, the bell rang and the class ended and the class leaves the classroom except for a few students who come to this teacher and they say to the teacher, why did you let her get away with that? Why did you allow her to insult you? Why didn't you put her in her place as you should have? To which he said, what good would that have done? Fast forward a couple weeks, this young lady came back to this teacher a couple weeks later, and before class started, she said, may I have a word with you? And she says to him at the beginning of class, before the other kids are in the room, I'm sorry about what I did a couple weeks ago. It, it, it wasn't you. It, it, was, it was me. It was my home life. Home life has been a mess lately. Mom and dad have been a mess lately. There's constantly arguing and bickering and fighting, and I took it out on you. It's not you. I'm sorry. To which he said, it's okay. I forgive you. Let's move on. And knowing this man as I do, I know he prayed for her and her family. That's grace. Nothing is able to diffuse pride and anger like grace and humility. We receive it from the Lord. We bathe in it daily. It's absolutely critical that we bathe in the grace of God given to us that covers over all of our sins and failures, that treats us far better than we deserve, that we bathe in it, that we are enveloped in it on a daily basis because I, for one, if I'm not bathing in it from Jesus my Lord, then I certainly won't have any to give to anyone else. You know what I'm talking about? Well, we bathe in this, and as we do, then perhaps we could begin to react to insults the way that teacher reacted. We can treat people far better than they deserve. Let me just revisit with you how we got to this point in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the key verse is given, I would say, for the entire letter. It's 1 Peter 1.16, and it's Peter's instruction 
to Christians living in Turkey who are immigrants, who are aliens, who are people in distress. And he says to them, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. You're living in a pressure cooker? Get used to it. Be holy in this pressure cooker. Be different, be gracious, be loving, be strong, be pure in this pressure cooker. Then he goes on to say, a few verses later, in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Indeed, as you're living in this pressure cooker, and you have this intensity of stuff coming at you today, live such good lives among the pagans, that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, and they may praise your God, they may glorify God on the day that he visits us. That though they would accuse you, pagans outside the church, this was a word that was used for non-Christians at the time, those outside the church might accuse you, they would see your good deeds, they would see the holiness through which you live, and they would say, Ugh, man, no matter what I say about her, there is something different about her. I want what she has. I can't gin that up on my own. I can't pull myself up by my bootstraps and demonstrate grace the way this person does. And they would want that, and they would say, ooh, can you tell me a little bit more about what you believe? Then Peter goes on to unpack five different practical situations in which we would live this out amongst those who might accuse us or amongst the pressure cooker that we are living in. And over the next chapter and a half, he's been unpacking these five experiences. The experience of unjust suffering, so when you go through unjust suffering, how do you live out chapter 2, verse 12? How do you live out chapter 1, verse 16? Be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Holiness starts with the heart and then extends to all of life, including the experience of unjust suffering. Then he goes on to talk about the experience of having a ruler that you don't care for. Whether it be a governor or a president or a king that you don't care for. And how do you love and honor that person? How do you pray for that person? Whoever it may be, whether it be your political party or not. Then he goes on to talk about bosses. Both the harsh bosses that we would have and also the considerate bosses that we would have. And he says, how are you going to love them? How are you going to treat them with goodness even if they're harsh towards you? Last week, what well, we talked about how we would live this out even in the context of marriage. Sometimes we don't like each other that well in marriage. Anyone know that? Don't say it if you're standing next to your wife. <laughs> okay, but sometimes we don't really like each other that much. Sometimes it's difficult. And so Jordan did a great job unpacking that last week as it relates to how we would live in this pressure cooker in the midst of marriage. And today the experience is how do you live in it amidst Opposition, because opposition is coming. Underline these words in your Bible under 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult, but with blessing. Okay, underline those. Do not repay with evil or with insult. You get hit, you don't repay with the same thing. You repay with blessing. Now, what's the assumption in that statement? The assumption is you're going to be insulted. 
The assumption is you're going to be opposed. The assumption in that statement is you are going to experience evil, and so how do you prepare yourself for it that you would reply with conviction and humility and grace as Jesus would? Now, the simple truth is, if you are serious about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be opposed at times. And I've been opposed on many, many different levels by people who don't want anything to do with the gospel of Jesus, both inside the church and outside the church. It's interesting, though, there are some people inside the church that really don't want the unfiltered gospel of Jesus. And there are many people outside the church that certainly don't want it. You're going to be opposed, but because the simple truth is, Christianity is both the most inclusive religion in the world, and it's also at the same time the most exclusive religion in the world. Let me just explain this for a moment. It's the most inclusive religion in the world in this. Anyone who will may come. Anyone who will may come. Every person matters for eternity. And there is no ranking, there is no pecking order. People are people before a holy God, and we all need the same thing. It's the most inclusive religion in the world that says, no matter who you are, no matter how much treadmark you have on your body, no matter how much junk you have in your past, no matter what family you were born into, no matter what crimes you have committed, you are loved by God. It's inclusive. And some people don't like that. And at the same time, it's also the most exclusive religion in the world in that it says every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are in need of forgiveness and restoration. And God has provided a way, but he's only provided one way. And his name is Jesus. And outside of Jesus is separation from God and all that is good for eternity. Not my words, the words of Jesus. And some people will oppose the genuine Christian for being too inclusive because they really don't want to worship with those kinds of people, whoever those are. And other people will oppose the genuine Christian for being too exclusive because they say that Jesus is the way but either way if you're serious about living it out if you're serious about speaking it up from time to time expect to be opposed it's all over the bible second timothy 3 says this in fact everyone who wants to live a godly or a holy life in christ jesus what does it say how you like that promise? We were talking a couple weeks ago about the promises of God. Oh, how faithful, God, you are to your promises. Thank you, I'll be persecuted. <laughs> no, it doesn't really, we're not really excited about that one, are we? But this is a promise of God. All right, how about Matthew 5, 10 and 11? There's a congruence in the Bible. It's, I'm trying to show you in this series, First Peter. I hope we're doing our soap notes each week that we do these cross-references and we see the congruence in the Bible. We see it in Peter, we see it in Paul, we see it fall from the lips of Jesus. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things about you because of me. Great is your reward. Rejoice and be glad. The gospel-centered 
response to any and all opposition to people who don't like you and to those people that you really don't like is very simple. The gospel-centered response to opposition, whether you like them or not, whether they like you or not, is grace, not retaliation. And again, this is the special sauce. This is the cornerstone. This is the cross of Christianity. It's not a secondary thing. The gospel-centered response to opposition is grace, not retaliation. Like anyone can trade evil for evil. Anyone can trade insult for insult. Any teacher could have put that student in her place, but that teacher that I mentioned chose to pause, collect himself, pray, and treat with blessing. That's unique. And so it stands out across the backdrop of, bar of darkness that we're living in even today. My grandpa, God bless him, rest in peace, wonderful man. He was uh, just a, a wonderful man of God. And he used to say to me, Adrian, remember. Adrian, you can get passionate at times. Did you know? Adrian, remember, he would say. Bees are more attracted to honey than vinegar. Honey attracts more bees than vinegar does. Don't get bitter, Adrian. Don't get prideful. Don't get angry. Be sweet. Be gracious. May people see you and think of winsomeness and mercy and love because honey attracts more than vinegar. Grace enables influence. Grace enables influence. That teacher had far more influence in that student's life because he demonstrated grace. You can influence people you would never influence by blessing them when they are different than you. Grace enables influence. Now, you, you might ask the question, why does God ask me to operate with grace to those who would oppose me? That doesn't seem fair. And I get that. It doesn't seem fair, and truly it is not fair. It's unique. It wasn't invented by any man. No man, no woman would invent grace. It was invented by God. It's one of the strongest apologetics for Christianity. This is the only faith that has grace in its values. It must have come from a different place than mere humanity. So why is it that God asks us to respond this way? Verse 9 says, Because to this you were called, and to this you may inherit a blessing. You were called to this that one day you would inherit a blessing. My friends, there was this man who was silent before his accusers. There was this man who loved those who hated him. There was this man who was kind to the just and the unjust alike. There was this man who loved those who would spit on him, who would pray for those who persecuted him, who was kind to those who hated him. There was this man who was gracious, yet challenging to super conservative Pharisees. And he was gracious, yet challenging to super liberal Sadducees, to both of them. 
There is this man who is gracious and challenging to the just and the unjust alike, who is gracious yet challenging to criminals, to prodigals, to the sexually immoral. There is this man who was strong for the weak and who was patient for the brokenhearted, who lifted people out of their despondency and brought them near to God. There was this man who treated me so much better than I deserve. And his name is Jesus. 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 And to him we are called. We're called to this to be little Jesuses, to represent him, to be his body in this broken and messed up world. The word called simply means to be set apart. There in verse nine, you are called to be set apart to represent Christ in this world that we're living in. Let me just break down a few application questions that I get out of this passage as I was doing my soap note through it uh, this past week. Here's a few application questions that perhaps you you would consider. Friends, this is a really, really, really good passage to keep in mind, perhaps even to memorize over the next 100 days as the election rolls around. Would Democrats find you to be gracious? Would Republicans find you to be gracious? This is a really good passage to keep in mind as you think about your social media posts. Would people on social media find me to be gracious? One of the things that I do when I post on social media is I edit it and I review it and I edit it again and I ask the question, would those who disagree with my position find me insulting? And if there's anything that those who would disagree would find insulting about this, then I delete it altogether. And if I cannot state it in a way that is not insulting to those who would disagree, but actually would be a blessing to those who disagree, even as we acknowledge disagreement on positions, then it's not worth stating. I'm taking a fast from social media and from all kinds of media right now, so it doesn't really apply for me right now. But when I go back on, that's critical for me because I got some opinions. Do your neighbors find you gracious? That is, you invite them over for coffee, as you invite them into your home for a meal, as you sit down and you get to know each other and you find out that they believe very different things than you believe, do they still find you to be gracious? You see, our goal as Christians is not to win arguments. Our goal as Christians is to win people to Christ. It's not to win arguments. It's to win people to Christ. And we're living in this intense pressure cooker here in 2020, are we not? I mean, it's getting hot. It's getting angry. It's getting pressure packed. It's getting intense. And grace is the pressure release valve that releases some of that pressure. It enables us to interact with others in a different way, not to get into this dog-eat-dog, insult-for-insult thing that's going on all around us. It enables us to go above that and to treat people with the love that we have received from God. To this we were called that we would inherit a blessing 
You see, when we live this way, someday God is going to reward us. On the other side of death, in eternity, God gives us rewards. Yes, for the way we serve others, but also for the way we are gracious toward others, the way we represent Christ toward others, the way we treat people as image bearers with us of the very likeness of God. Now, I, I got to admit, as I process through all of this, I like insults personally about as much as I like lima beans. Um, I'd rather hear anything from you than an insult. I'd rather eat any vegetable besides a lima bean. I hate insults. But if you're going to be in the public eye at all, you're going to be insulted. You're going to be critiqued. And I deal with that, just like you do. We all will, if you're serious about Christ. And so how do you prepare yourself for the insults that are coming? I want to give you three really, really quick tips. Very simple, write these down. This is a training time. The first way that you deal with an insult is simply expect it. Expect insults. When you expect that you will be critiqued, when you expect that people will disagree with you and that's okay, it blunts the edge of the insult. It becomes no big deal. This is just another person. Okay, number two, think about how the gospel applies to the insult. You expect the insult and then you think about how the gospel would apply to the insult. One of the things though, that I do well, when I'm critiqued is I say, God, would you please remind me that I have only one God and only one judge and I live before an audience of one. The gospel says that I have one God and this person is not it. And so I take this insult into your arms, God, and I ask you, God, is there some wheat in this that I need to ingest, that I need to learn from this person, that they've seen something in me that is wrong and I need to learn from this? Where's the wheat and where's the chaff? And would you take the chaff and just blow it to the wind? And if there's wheat in this critique that I am receiving, then I receive it. Even as I know this person doesn't ultimately judge me because I live before an audience of one, and they need the very same thing that I need, we both need the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, you, you just repeat these things when you're critiqued. This is called preaching to yourself the gospel of Christ. It's not enough for me to preach the gospel to you. You have to preach the gospel to yourself. And then finally, ask God's help in giving grace in response to that insult. Again, I don't have this in me. What I'm talking about here today, I don't have it in me. But I go back to John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branch. Remain in me and I will remain in you. And then you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Adrian, you cannot do this on your own, but in Christ, you can do it. So I ask you, Father, would you please give me grace in this moment that I would respond the way Jesus would, the way Jesus did when he was insulted. Okay, final word here, though, this morning. This is the result of grace. When we choose to operate well with grace, the result is peace. Would you raise your hands with me, both here and in the venue, if you would like more peace in your relationships? Anyone else? Two hands for me, okay? I'd like more peace in my relationships. <laughs> yes, please, Jesus. More peace in all of my relationships. It, it strikes me, like, some people are, are natural peace breakers. You know those people? That they're just like naturally good at coming in and creating division. 
There's natural peace breakers out there. Almost all of us are naturally peace lovers. Like, we want more peace in our relationships. All of us want that. But very, very few people do the hard work of peacemaking. There's very few peacemakers. There's lots of peace breakers. We're all peace lovers. Very few of us are peacemakers. But verse 11 tells us just that. It says, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Run after it. Fight for it. Go to someone who is wrong. Go to someone who you are in the wrong with. Go to someone that you know there's tension between us and operate with grace as you go to them. Seek peace and pursue it. This is the way God would expect us to operate inside the family of God. And this is the way God would expect us to operate with those outside of the family of God as well. That we are representatives of the grace of Christ. That we're not agitators. That we don't hold on to an idolatry about my opinion. That we're not quarrelsome. That we quickly admit when we've missed the mark, we ask God for his grace and he gives it that we choose not to live in a dog-eat-dog world, but we choose instead to live in the kingdom of God in which we respond with humility and peace and grace that treats people far better than they deserve. And that shines. So, Father, we're asking for your help. As I just said, this is the special sauce of Christianity, and even so, we recognize it's not natural for us. It's not something we can do on our own. We can do it only by staying intimately connected to the vine who is Jesus Christ. So, Father, I just want to pray for my friends here in the auditorium and in the venue and those watching online right now. And we confess, Lord, our great need to you this morning. We admit to you that our natural response to insults or opposition is retaliation, not grace. And what we would love is to have our natural response become grace, not retaliation. We understand, Lord, that the only way that can happen is as we lean into you and we receive your grace given to us each and every day. Thank you, God, that you treat us far better than we deserve. We thank you, God, that you've forgiven more in us than we would ever have to forgive in someone else. Father, would you please use us, even this week, to be peacemakers with others in this church family, with others in our own families, and with those in our communities. 
We admit that we will need your help every step of the way, but we want this because it's what makes our faith so special. We give you glory every step of the way, Father. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace to us. We give you all glory in Jesus' name.